fall is in the air. Uh, there's no doubt about it. A cool front came through, and as you can tell by my build, I was a Little League football star. Um, I was a standout middle linebacker, uh, led my team in unassisted tackles and forced fumbles, and I was a terror on the field. And uh, what my parents shared with me was that the light that, bright, that burned twice as bright burned half as long. And so by seventh grade, my football years were over. But I still get that tingle, that smell of grass, that fall scent. But uh, no men's breakfast would be complete without a Jackie Sherrill story. And so I, I want to share a story because Pastor Greg said there are a couple of things we needed to have if we were going to make it 24 weeks. And I, I would like to extend that to say for us to be the men that God has crafted us to be and called us to be in the vision He has for our lives, you've got to have toughness. And toughness takes lots of different forms and lots of different shapes. And, and the story goes something like this, that after Jackie Sherrill's team had been soundly trumped and destroyed by Louisiana Tech, that, and, and Jackie's known for a hot temper, and Jackie's known for insane motivational uh, activities, uh, learning things, I guess, from uh, destroying bulls and steers to, you know, to whatever. But in this instance, he called his whole team together the next day and he pulled them into the locker room. And in the corner of the room was a, a, large, a large bucket of water, a large container of water. And he stands and looks at his team and they've lost to Louisiana Tech. And he's like, men, if we're going to make anything out of this year, you're going to have to get tougher. We're going to have to be tough, tough like you've never seen before. And he turns around, he walks off, he reaches into the bucket, and he pulls out an alligator, and he undoes his pants, unzips his pants, and he slides them down, he turns around. He says, this is how tough we've got to get. And he puts the alligator, and he clamps right on to his bottom. And he stands up like that, and blood starts to come down his leg a little bit, and he walks around and says, you've got to get tough, man. You've got to be tough. And he walks around, and he says, your toughness is all we're going to have this year. And he turns, and he pokes the alligator in the eye, and he pulls him off. He says, now who's coming with me? Who's going to do this next? And everybody stares at each other. They're like, this is psychotic. No way. No way am I going to do that. And then in the corner of the room, an offensive lineman puts his hand up. He says, uh, Coach, Coach Cheryl, uh, I'll do that, but uh, are you going to poke me in the eye too to make me let go? And uh, <laughs> so, so I want to... <laughs> Yeah, we're not, we're not going to poke you guys in the eye or anything, but I do want to say we've got to be tough as we get out here. And uh, I want us to review very quickly. Some of you weren't here last week, and there were some presuppositions that, that Pastor Greg shared with us. And I want to go over two of them real quick and then the five promises that he shared with us. And so uh, this is under the brief review section. Uh, first of all, that manhood is in a state of confusion. Uh, there, is a, there is a cauldron of confusion underneath the surface across America in, in my life and in a lot of lives as, as you see men that have been raised in a society that's given lots of mixed messages. And so, as, as Greg shared, we're in confusion. Some of it's because of World War II and some of it's because of the Industrial Revolution. Some of it's because of feminism. All those forces working together to take dads away from sons and moms just can't impart manhood. And so, the second deal is there was... No lofty vision of manhood today that is compelling to men. And we don't have to look very far to know that there's a lot of stuff in our lives that pull us down. There's a lot of things. There's very few things that inspire nobility in a man, that inspire greatness in a man. And we're going to talk about some of those things today as, as we look. And then there are five promises that were made. And the first one is that at the end of 24 weeks, you will have a very clear, a crystal clear definition of manhood. That it will peel away all the stuff that society is going to throw at us and has thrown at us from sitcoms to movies to sports to everything. And we're just going to have a picture of what God intended when He said, hey, I am fashioning you as a man and that is my sovereign plan for you. We weren't accidents as men. He desired it, He designed it, and then He created in that fashion. Second deal is we'll develop a new manhood language and that is going to allow us to go deeper into our heart with God than we've ever done before and to have deeper friendships with each other than we could have any other way. It's not going to be secret symbols and codes, but as Greg shared some of those phrases with you all, those will be critical for us. The third thing is you'll make significant personal discoveries about yourself. And I'm sharing that because I've talked to tons of men that have been through this material that we're going through 
And there are men at our church that have gone through it that actually brought it to me and said, hey, I want you to come and visit with me at the study that I'm going through. And I've met men that are grown men that have had marriages restored, that have come to Christ, that have repented of sins that they were caught up in, addictions they were caught up in for a period of their life, 20 years of their life, and they've been set free. It's not the material that sets them free. Jesus Christ set them free, but, but man, I'm like, God, we, we need something like that to help us as men to become the men God's destined us to be. The uh, fourth deal, fourth promise, that you will make new friends who are pursuing a common goal. And, and you guys might have noticed in uh, your table leaders, there are index cards inside every folder here. And I've already had a couple of guys say, hey, is it okay if we get together outside of the, the breakfast time here as a table? I'm like, go for it, man. That's it. You're getting it. That's exactly what we want you to do. And we know schedules are full, but exchange information. Give each other your cell phones and, and your email address. And set up a phone accountability where you call each other Wednesday night and you call each other at 5 in the morning or 4 in the morning whenever you need to be called on, on Thursday mornings to get here. Because it will, weather's going to change even more and it'll be cold and it's going to be harder and harder to get up. And, and I'm just saying, you guys need to make, make it together as a, as a table, as, as six men, as seven men, you know, walking through this. The fifth deal is that you'll have a, your own personalized plan for achieving authentic manhood. And several people asked me, because on the business cards we had printed up, it said a, a manhood plan. And people were like, a manhood plan? Dude, what is a manhood plan? And I'm like, hey, hey the, the biggest picture I can give you is it's you taking responsibility for the life that you're living right now, that you're living it before God with integrity. And it's your plan to address the deficiencies and it's your plan to experience even more of that fullness and the strength that He's already given you. There are some amazingly awesome individuals in this room that I personally know that have a, a zeal for life, a zeal for God and all that, but but also know that in all of us, there are areas of our life we struggle in. And that's just the way it is. Because we're not perfect. We're going to talk about perfection in just a minute. And we're going to look at perfection. We're going to look at balance and see what God, what God asks of us. Because He offers us perfection, but He asks balance of us as men. And so I want to, I want to give you a clip. It's from a great movie I love. It's, it's Groundhog Day. I want to set up this clip. In this clip, we're getting ready to see, if you guys know the storyline, uh, there happens to be a man, it's Bill Murray, and he lives the same day over and over and over. And he schemes, and he tries to figure out, how can I get with this lady of my dreams? It's Andy McDowell. And there's a bigger message overall to the movie, but this is a scene when he's already lived this same day probably 20,000 times, it seems like, and he knows everything to say right, but he still hasn't had this important conversation with her. So put your attention up and, and listen the best you can. So what do you want out of life, Roy? I guess I want what everybody wants, you know, career, love, marriage, children. Are you seeing anyone? I think this is getting too personal. I don't think I'm ready to share this with you. How about you? What do you want? What I really want is someone like you. Oh, I don't know about you guys, but uh, I don't measure up if that's, uh, if that's that ideal man there, that perfect man. Uh, man, that's the message I've gotten my, most of my life, and that is 
<clears throat> excuse me, there are lots of different hats that we're expected to wear, and there's a perfection we should have in our life. And, and Garrison Keillor says trying to live that perfect life is no life at all. And I think Christ really wants to set us free from the performance of that and to begin to realize who He's created us to be. And, and we're going to talk about there's a balance that we're going to need to have and there are four expressions of manhood, and we're going to call these the four faces of manhood. And if you're familiar with Stu Weber's book, um, The Tender Warrior, this is, this is within that idea there. Um, could someone shut that door? If, it, if possible? Oh, great. Okay. Um, we're going to explore four complementary expressions of manhood, and each one will balance the other out. If any of these is at an extreme, the end result is going to be sort of a caricature a masculinity of what God desires for us. And we can see lots of caricatures. I, I went through sitcoms, movies, and I, was just, I had my assistant helping me pull images off the Internet, just grabbing them, and we were going to use all of them. I was like, wait a minute. We, as we go through this, there will be things that fly through your head, and you'll be like, oh, man, seen that, know that. That's me. That's, that's who my dad was. Um, so, so just put on your seatbelt. We're going to fly fast over these guys. Uh, the very first one is the face of the king. It's the king face. And this face, it is not easily achieved. It's not something that just springs up and, hey, I'm a boy and therefore the king face is going to show up in my life. But the king face is cultivated over time. It's cultivated through friendships. It's cultivated through parents. It's cultivated through mentoring. It's cultivated through failures. Failures. We're going to look at the life of David. We're going to talk about the life of David in just a minute. That failures can, can unmask the king face in us. That successes also unmask the king face in us. That the events of our life are not happenstance. They're not chance occurrences. But that the events of our life are there to shape and to mold us if we allow them to do that. That we would reflect the king face. And at the bottom of it, it's integrating Christ into life. And that's, that's the beauty of what that the challenge is going to be for all of us over the next 24 weeks is integrating Christ into our lives. When you're asked to cheat at work, when you're on a business trip and no one has to know what you're going to watch or you're propositioned by a lady, when you sit there and you're with a group of friends, but these friends were your friends sort of before you came to Christ, but you got your friends, that, your church friends, but you also got your friends that, well, we're just going to go out and we're just going to have some fun tonight. You know, my, that's my church life, that's my church thing, but this is my other life. And it's, it's having that split that goes straight down the heart of a man that destroys the king face. And so it's the same face that you have with a Nathan and David. And David has sinned against God with an affair with Bathsheba, covers it up with the murder of Uriah the Hittite. And Nathan comes to him, and Nathan has the king face on. He's the priest. He's got the mantle of leadership from God, but he confronts the king of Israel. And when he does that, he risks his life. He could be exiled. He could be killed. But he does it in obedience. It's, it's obedience irregardless of comfort and convenience, if you want to frame it up differently. It's that idea of righteous energy. And when Nathan goes to David and he confronts David, he says, David, you are that man. You're the one that, that took the man's only sheep. And David had already said, well, that man, man, he should, be, he should be killed. He should die. And Nathan says, that's you. That's you. That takes courage. That takes guts. That takes righteous energy. That is the king face. But the beautiful thing here is, is you see, at that moment, you see something in David that had been hidden for a while. But before that, David wasn't owning up to life, and he was hiding, and he was covering stuff up. But when he's confronted by Nathan, he doesn't get there in front of Nathan and, and go, I did not have sexual relations with Bathsheba. Yeah, he, didn't, he didn't do that. He confessed his sin right on the spot. And we see some of the coolest psalms in the Bible, have mercy on me, O God. I mean, you read the psalms that came right after this, and you're like, dude, I want to be like that. Because we're all, we all make mistakes, but what do we do with those mistakes? What does that unmask in us? Does it lead us down a road darker and darker? Or does it set us free to be 
the man that God's crafted us to be. And He didn't make us to be slaves. He didn't make us to be slaves. And if we're living that way, we're not living in the king face. One area that I have huge respect for and admiration for in my dad is the area of integrity. He didn't have a dad. He was raised by his aunt in the middle of nowhere in Tennessee during the Great Depression. And for a guy like that, didn't come to Christ until he was 30 years old. He was a drill sergeant in the army. He put himself through college. He put himself through schooling. And he gets out. He starts his career. At age 30, he comes to Christ. He didn't have me until he was like 35 years old. Well, that's sort of the same plan I'm on. I didn't get married until I was 30. I didn't have my first kill until I was 35. It's like, you know, we're, we're sort of on that same plan. But there's one thing I can always say is he has always done the right thing. He's always done the right thing. I'm talking taxes. I'm talking we're at a restaurant and he gets too much money back and he's given that money back. He finds something that's not his. He tries to find the owner. He does, he does, he's, a, he's an optometrist. He does work for boys' homes and girls' homes in the area. He's 70, 79 years old now, and he's still working as an optometrist, and he's still doing pro bono work for people. And he's a man of integrity. Now, that doesn't mean he was the most nurturing dad in the world, <laughs> and we're going to hear some of those stories down the road, but, uh, but I have a huge respect for him that he has always done. He's always tithed, even when times were lean, and we were going to, you know, he wanted us to go to a private school, and he sacrificed to do that, and he never shortchanged. He always tithed. He never lived off debt. He would save up. He would buy a car with cash. He would not jeopardize the, our family in order to have an extra car for him. He always drove the worst car in the family. My mom always had the nicest car, so if you wanted to borrow a car, if you were going on a date, it was like, uh, Mom, can we borrow your car? It was never Dad. You know, he had a old Pontiac station wagon. And, uh, so, so in this, integrity is at the face of that. And there's a fallout from homes that don't have a dad like that. And Robert Moore wrote this, We see in modern dysfunctional families that when there is an immature, weak, or absent father, and the king energy is not sufficiently present, the family is very often given over to disorder and chaos. And just in a room this size, a lot of you, when you hear that, you're like, dude, that's my dad. That's the home I grew up in. And so we're not, we're not camping out there today, but just to say that the king face is key for us as men, as leaders in the business place, but also in the family. Some characteristics here. It's characterized by strong convictions, courageous moral choices, a servant spirit, and righteous leadership. If you want to look at this, it, the king face is not an arrival spot. It is, we're always, we're either snuffing it out or we're letting it shine. And that's the truth. And we're going to see that in God's Word in just one second out of the book of Proverbs. It is, it is a process that each of us goes, every decision we make, nothing is small in the kingdom of God. Remember the parable of the mustard seed, right? A little mustard seed huge, huge plant. It's the process of faith. It's the sowing of the seed. All these parables about smallness to bigness, well, there is not a small decision in our life as men. There's not. And the sooner we realize that, that there's not, well, this is just entertainment. No, it's not. These are little choices we make that will wreak either destruction on the king face or it will expose the king face. And I don't know about y'all, but I want to go out of this world better than I came in. I want to go out and finish strong. Before this, I was a cross-country coach and a wrestling coach. And our teams, I mean, our, our mantra was finish strong. Now, that doesn't mean we started out walking the race, and, but it was we trained far more intensely than we ever raced. And if that meant hill repeats on the Buffalo Bayou over and over, and they're like, coach, it's always flat on the courses. I'm like, state course isn't flat. It's in San Antonio. It's not flat at all. There's huge hills. We have to train the way we want to live, the way we want to finish. And so we're here. We're, for 24 weeks, we're saying, okay, God, show me. Show me. Lead me. Speak into my life. And then He's going to reveal to us that, hey, look around the table. Speak into each other's lives as well through the Word of God. In Scripture, we see 
this in Proverbs 4.18. Proverbs 4.18. But the path of the righteous is like the light of the dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. You guys came in here, and it's still dark outside, but you came in here and it was pitch black when you came in here. When I came in here, it was pitch black when I came in here. When we leave here, the sun will begin to be rising, and it will be dawn. And from this day, moving throughout this day, the sun will become more bright. It will become more intense. It will heat up this world even more. And where I had my windows down in the car driving in this morning, smelling the fresh Houston air, um, this afternoon I'll have my windows up. I'm going to have the AC on, have it on recirculate so it stays even colder. And that's just what I'm going to do. But that is the picture in Scripture of righteousness. That it starts, sometimes you don't even notice it, and it builds, and it builds, and it builds. And my question to you guys and to myself is simply this. Is it growing? Is the king face growing in life? Or is it waning in your life? And I know for me, uh, and I'll share some of these stories down the road, but I wrestled with an addiction that, that almost tanked me, almost tanked my marriage. Um, I've been set free. I am a free man. And, and out of that, I'm just sharing with you that, that it, it was the king face that was totally hidden in my life. And that my dad had modeled it for me, and yet I had not learned how to walk in that king face. And God has set me free and praise Him through His Word and through His Spirit and through some brothers in Christ that have loved me, that, that I can stand up here to say that this face in my life has grown over the last ten years in a huge way. Um, moving on here, the next Scripture, Proverbs 27. And this, for all of us, these words are huge because we're all sons in here. That's the beauty of having a men's study is we're all sons. And it says here, A righteous man who walks in his integrity... How blessed are his sons after him. For all of us, we're like, we were either blessed or not blessed by our dads, by how they lived life. But I'll say this that this verse took on a huge meaning for me three and a half years ago when my son was born. His name's Luke. We named him that because we want him to be the perfect mating of faith and reason together. Because in the Gospels, that's who Luke is. He's not just a, a weak guy. That, well, I don't, I don't think about those things. I don't know very much. All I know is Jesus. You know, no, and I'm not making fun of that. Simple faith is powerful, huge. But Luke, he's a stud. I mean, seriously. He, he's, he's brilliant. He's articulate. He's committed. And man, he is faithful. And I'm like, that's what I want my son to be. I want my son just like that. And so for, for the dads in here... You can, you can go to their football games and baseball games. I'm like, I'm not demeaning that. Do it. Man, do it. You can give gadgets and gear. And I'm like, I loved it when my dad, you know, when he, when he got us a bike or when we got, you know, ColecoVision, which was years ago. I'm like, man, my wife won't let me have any of that stuff anymore. But, but those were great things. But at the end of it, the, the bottom line of that is, it is his integrity that he lived by that gave me probably the greatest gift he's given me. And that is a model that I needed Christ in my life. And so, I, I just want to kick that off to you guys, that that is, that's at the heart of the king face. That going on, reflecting righteous energy throughout life. When you're 70 or 80, you're probably not going to compare houses and bank accounts. And you're probably going to compare character and reputation of your name. I bet that's what it's going to be. That's what my dad's told me. His whole definition of success changed when he turned 60. And, uh, and I've been blessed because of it in a huge way. Um, moving on, so next face is the face of the warrior. And, and I think we can all relate to this face because this is the face that's thrown out over and over and over to us. This is the face that says, man, let's take the company national. Let's do it. It's the face that says, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose weight this year. They actually do it. Gonna, I'm going to run the marathon and they accomplish that. This is the face of a man that declares war on something and they see it through. They make the sacrifice. They put the focus on it. Anyone in here that was in an athletics, you think about some of the men that we revere in athletics, you think about some of the men we revere in the military, and it's the warrior. I think that's the most natural expression for a man. 
And, and when I'm talking about warrior, I'm not talking about destruction. We'll talk about the difference in being a warrior and a destroyer. But it's, it's what you need at the end of a double overtime football game to make a block or to make a tackle or to complete a pass to win a game. And, and last week we saw a couple of those football games that went down like that. Think about, you got Patton and Teddy Roosevelt. you got Alexander the Great. And these are huge military. We've got a movie, Gladiator, where we celebrated a pure, unadulterated... This is a warrior. This guy's a warrior. He's amazing. We've got Lance Armstrong, Dan Gable. You've got Tiger Woods and Michael Jordan. I mean, these are guys... Albert Pujols. I mean, these are guys that when the game is on the line... <laughs> you, yo, Tiger... You talking about Ryder Cup stuff here? What, what you... Oh, okay. Um, sorry about that one. Yeah, I didn't mean Tiger. Okay. Um, you, got a, you got Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, Ted Turner. And we got these men that have built an empire, literally. I mean, Ted Turner, man, it's like a, a global empire. It blows my mind. I can't fathom the money he has, the influence he has, the power he has. And yet within all of that, within all of that, if it's out of balance, you become a destroyer instead of a warrior. And so we all love a good fight. I want to want to read, and I have, yeah, I've left my, uh, I printed an article out from Dave Barry. How many of you guys know Dave Barry? He's a columnist for, uh, and I hope I've got it. If I don't, we'll just move on. You know, four in the morning comes early. Yeah, that's right. We're moving on. Anyhow, <laughs> he works for the Miami Herald, and uh, we'll read that another day. It's a great article. It's hysterical. Talking about men getting overly macho at the wheel of a car uh, driving in Miami. But uh, the warrior face can go to the extreme, and it's easy for us to see that around. But a couple of things we do need to know is that the warrior face, it, it reflects conquering energy. It's initiative. It's going for it. It's protection, it's a defender, it's provision. It says, I'm going to take care of you no matter what. Sounds a little bit different than a gladiator. It's taking the gladiator and it's putting it into a different realm. And that realm is somebody else's benefit. I'm conquering not just for myself, but I'm conquering for the benefit of someone else. And as husbands, and as men, as friends, as future dads, as current dads, as future leaders in our church, and current leaders in our church, that's what we need. We need the warrior face where we lay it down on behalf of somebody else. It perseveres in adversity. Second deal here, let me give you some characteristics of it. It's characterized by clarity of thought. Skill, power, self-control, commitment to a greater cause. Clarity of thought, skill, power, self-control, commitment to a greater cause. It says, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to finish. I'm going to pay the debt off. I'm going to get the job done. We're going to make this work. My wife and I have had those conversations with each other. We're going to work this out. We're not going to bed until we work it out. We're going to work it out. And I praise God that I've got a, a wife that responds to that and that, that I've also had a dad that wouldn't allow the D word in the house. He wouldn't say it. He wouldn't do it. My mom and dad haven't had the best marriage, but I've never once doubted that they were going to make it, that they were going to stay married, because he wouldn't utter the D word. And I, and I have the utmost thanks for him for that, because that gives me a whole lot more going in to a marriage, of having seen that, that tenacity. And all of those come from the warrior face. In Scripture, I love this passage, 1 Timothy. Think about Timothy for one second. How did he get his faith? Now, I know God gave it to him, but it came from the women in his family, right? It came from his mom and his grandma, right? But how was he going to become a man? And God sends him Paul. It's a beautiful picture of a man bestowing manhood. And listen to what Paul, Paul is calling the warrior face out of Timothy here. So he says, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. 
Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. These words, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness, faith, those are noble words. He didn't give him this low vision for his life. He gave him a huge, noble vision. And then did he call him to passivity? No. He called him to action. Pursue. Fight. And that word take hold is really seize it, man. Just grab that thing. Seize it. Clinch it. Hold it. I'm like, that is, that is the warrior face. When I was in uh, Aberdeen recently, there was a, one of the men's ministers over there. Actually, he was just a minister. He's passionate about men's ministry. We were talking. He gave me an expression. and I told him, I said, I want to steal this from you. I want to write this down. And, and Colin was there and, and Eric Ober was there. And, and that expression was this. We were talking about it. He said, you know, we're males by birth. We're men by choice. And that just, when I heard that, that resonated with me. Male by birth, men by choice. And the warrior face is, is, is letting that man come out in us in a good way. The third face, and this is probably as, as common as the warrior face is, this is probably uncommon, just in the same way. And this is the face of the lover. It's unnatural for us. It's sort of not how we're wired up. Now, some of us are probably more compassionate and, and, and more... Romantic, and those are two sides of the same thing here. But you look at that, the fruit of the Spirit that God gives us, and compassion is one of the first things. When one of my mentors told me, he said, if you want to know where a man is with Christ, you look in one area of his life, you look in the area of compassion. If they're compassionate, that's not a natural fruit that's going to grow up in a man. That means God is doing something deep inside their heart and transforming their life. Compassion. That doesn't mean we walk around with a box of Kleenex and we're just <laughs> you know, weeping at all. That's not, that's not compassion. That might be sympathy, but compassion is being moved and doing something about it. It's still that action that comes in there. And so, literally here, the, the lover, what does this look like? The lover is going to turn down a job promotion if it means you're sacrificing absolutely your family. They're going to turn it down. They will. They're not going to take it. They're not going to sacrifice their family for the monetary gain. They're going to listen to another person. They're going to say, how are you doing? And they're going to sit and they're going to listen to that. They're going to receive that. They're freed up to do that because life is not about them anymore. Because they have a beloved, and that could be a Jonathan David beloved. It's a beautiful picture of, of, of man friendship in Scripture. But it also, you carry that, you learn that with men, and you learn that if you have a sister, you learn that in your home with your sisters. And then when you get married, you take those things and you place that with your wife. And you also added that to the romance. So you have the compassion and the romance coming together. It's reflected in compassionate, romantic energy. Compassionate, romantic energy. And it's characterized by tenderness, sensitivity, sacrificial care, emotional openness, and physical affection. And I don't know if you all ever got to see the Ken Burns PBS documentary on the Civil War, but there was a man named Sullivan Ballou. He was a major in 1861 before the first Battle of Bull Run. He's getting ready to go on the battlefield, and he writes a letter to his wife, and I will have that printed up for you next week. Um, I was going to read it to you, but it's also with my other things. But it is one of the most powerful letters I've ever read. I read it to my wife last night. She said, why don't you write me letters like that? And I was like, okay. Okay, so maybe the lover's not so strong in me after all. But uh, it's a letter written by a man that knows he's not going to see his wife again. And to give you, she's 24 years old. they got two kids, a 9-year-old and a 5-year-old. He's going to the first battle of Bull Run. He dies two days after he writes this letter. This letter is so amazing that his 24-year-old wife will not marry again and she dies at age 80. She won't marry. She won't date. He has her heart to the grave. That is what this letter is amazing. It is a, he's a warrior that balanced that out with the face of a lover. And you can do that. We can be those types of men. And that's a picture of Sullivan Blue. In Scripture... 
We see the highest calling given in Ephesians 5 when Paul's talking about the family and how the family functions. In Ephesians 5, he says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. I mean, that is a huge order. I'm going to tell you, there's no magic switch there. When I got married almost 10 years ago, I didn't like at the altar find this little switch and push it and all of a sudden I had this idea of this, this aspect of godly love for my wife. It started with how I dated her and how I dated the girl before her and how I dated the girl before her. Did I honor them or did I use them? Were they for my pleasure or were they for God's glory? I'm just telling you, whatever stage you're in, today can be that day that you begin to put that lover face on. You walk in the purity of the king face and you take that warrior face and you protect the innocence of the lady that you care about, that you love. And it might be, your, you know, it might be a sister right now it might be a girlfriend right now. It might be a fiancé. It might be your wife. And maybe you've never put the lover face on with your wife. You've used her. You've had sex together. But you have not loved her as Christ loved the church. And it's indicting, man. Because I, I, I went through this with my wife. I, I, I was like taught her this, you know. And I was like speaking through this. I said, okay. I said, just I want you to tell me how I'm doing. Don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> Don't do that, because it hurts. But you know what? I'm glad I did that, because I need to know those things. I want to know those things, because that's part of the conviction God puts in my life, to say, man, it's not, we said these aren't arrivals. These are processes that we have these things come out. The next, the next face here is the face of the friend. And this face, in a crowd this big, I know that there are people in here that honestly do not have a man friend that is close to them, that celebrates when they succeed, that loves them enough to get in their face to say, you know what, you're blowing your family up. You know what, this job is not worth that. You're sacrificing your character for Uncle Sam. It's wrong. And I had a friend that's actually in this room today that... There was a time when I was making a decision. It was a vocational change in life and I had prayed about it and I would sort of rested in it and I took it before him and he said, hey, I, I can't support that. I can't support you doing that. I, I don't think that's God's best for you. I don't think that's God's will for you. That's hard to hear. But man, praise God for friends like that that will speak the truth to me and speak it in love. And I'm just saying in here, they're real friendships, they're deep friendships, and when problems are there, it is the friends that we've got. And, and I'll tell you what, I always had friends in my life, and lots of them. But when I get older and I'm no longer on a team, and I get married and I move to a new city, I found myself for the first two or three years of our marriage, every day with my wife, I was like, man, I, I just want... I want a guy that I can hang out with, I can talk with, I can go and do something with, I can go running with, go biking with, do something. And for me, it was my cross-country team. It sounds really crazy to say that, but it was my high school guys on the cross-country team became part of that for me until God led me to this church. And when He led me to this church, He put me in Ken Capp's class, the newlywed class. It was in the newlywed class that I made friends like Houston Foster and Eric Ober and, and, and Pat Mahan and several of the guys that are out here right now. And some of those friendships have gone deeper. And now we've, we've had kids and our kids play together. And we go to the zoo and I happen to see the Obers there. And we, we hook up for a while and we talk a little bit. And how are you doing? Well, great, man. How are you? And no, it's not a beer commercial. But it's, it's us just asking because we honestly could tell each other whatever needs to be told. And I desire that. That's my heart. When, when I was praying for what are we wanting to have happen here, there's a lot of things to have happen here, but around your table, in your, in your team that's at that table, my heart is that, that there will be a bonding that takes place over the next 24 weeks, that you will ask me the question, can we get together outside of the breakfast time? I'm like, yeah, man, play some golf together. 
Get your families together. If you work near each other in the gallery, grab a lunch together. Let's do life together. Let's get in each other's homes. Let's have a meal together. Let's worship together. Let's serve together. Let's do Houston Project together this coming year. I mean, isn't that cool? To have a band of brothers that you're with that you can actually do life together with. And life isn't meant to be lived alone. And you can't climb the mountain of life alone. And if you think about even what the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords did is when He came to earth, He could have strapped on His AK-47 and taken the world on His own. But He calls 12 men. He says, hey, join me. Walk with me. Do life with me. And He leaves behind a fellowship, a body of men, a band of brothers, and He commissions them and He gives them a noble mission and a noble purpose and He empowers them and they turn the world upside down. And isn't that what God wants to do here? We could turn Houston upside down. Our homes could get turned upside down. Our homes need to get turned upside down. The workplace needs to get turned upside We're the home of Enron. I mean, seriously, there's a lot of stuff that happens that shouldn't be happening, and we're needing a few good men empowered by God to stand up with all of these faces in balance together. The friend is the connecting energy. We've got to speed up here real quick. It's loyalty. It's, it's connecting energy, if you missed that one. Connecting energy. It's characterized by loyalty, accountability, challenge, and fun. And I think, hey, that's, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's probably why most of us are here today is that we know we want a friend, we know we need a deep friend, and yet we're too busy for it. And I'm like, hey, if you're married and you got kids, you're not stealing time from your family right now. If you're a single guy, you're here, you're not stealing time from work right now. You're not stealing time from your friendships right now. Six in the morning, we would have done this any other time, and I know there are guys that I had at least 40 or 50 guys that have emailed me or called me and said, I want to be there, I can't be there. I'm like, next year we're going to try to do it, it may be at a time that we do it or something in the evening for guys that, that can't do it now. But, but for me, I don't feel guilty about spending an hour and a half together in the morning because I know I'm not robbing my wife, I'm not robbing my kids, and I'm not robbing my job. And I'm like, if, if I can handle that, then, then man, I'll get up at whatever time. I'll get up at four in the morning to get here. So, so within this, we know that we need that. And friends, they notice the good in us. They call out the great in us. They confront us just like Nathan did David, just like Jonathan and David together, traveling life together. And the question, part of the question here is, is, is I think we miss friendship sometime because we are not friend-worthy men. That we're not willing to invest in someone else's life. That we want the benefits of a mentorship, but we don't want to mentor someone else. We want the benefits of someone to come to us and encourage us, but we don't ever speak encouraging words to somebody else. And it's an old adage, the best way to get a hug is to give a hug. Well, we're not talking about hugs here. We're talking about encouragement. We're talking about brotherhood. We're talking about noble things, not just a hug. We're talking about noble things. In Scripture, I love it. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times. A brother is born for adversity. Now, I'm telling you, man, adversity is coming. It comes every day in one way or another. And you better have a brother when adversity comes. And for some of us right now, as you hear those words, you're like, dude, that's me right now and I need a brother right now. And I'm like, well, around the table might be an opportunity for you to begin to fashion that. Another scripture, Proverbs 27:17. it's very familiar. <clears throat> As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We all need someone to push against us, to grate against us, to file off the rough edges. We all need it. Whether that's the guy that helps you clean up your language and your tongue. When I came to Christ, I had a friend, his name was Clark Sehan. He held me accountable for my potty mouth. <laughs> we played a lot of golf together and we wrestled together. And in, on the golf course, I didn't know Jesus when I started playing golf, and my vocabulary reflected that. And after I knew Jesus, my vocabulary didn't reflect that. 
And, uh, and he was the guy that sort of called me out to let me know that the words that came out of my mouth, they mean something. And then it's a, it's a Don Mutton that comes alongside once you, you, are, you are a man, you know. You're not just a teenager anymore, you're a man and, and still calls you to that nobility of a, of a higher standard, of a great standard. <clears throat> so for all of us, these, these ideas of the four faces are to be balanced out. The king, the warrior, the lover, the friend. These are the four faces of manhood. Hopefully they're going to be ours. And I want to give you a few observations in here. These faces can take on ugly caricatures of the face. And, and I'm going to show you what I mean. I've got some slides coming out of this. And society will do everything it can in our lives to push us into one of these caricatures of being a man. And the first one, if, we, if the king goes too far to the right, the king becomes a tyrant. And I don't have to flash any pictures up here, but you can think of guys, of men. I had a coach, Bill McMahon. He coached. He was my, one of my first wrestling coaches. And he was a jerk. And I went back after college and I confronted him on it. I just, <laughs> I did. Because I wasn't, I wasn't a little kid anymore, you know. I just went to him. I said, hey, I appreciate all the technique you taught me. I appreciate all the conditioning you put me through. But I said, I just wanted to tell you, just as one man to another man, I, I resent how you spoke to me, how you tore me down, and how you tried to, to gain your own personal accolades at the expense of your athletes. And I told him that. Because you know what? I'm, I'm going through this life one time, and if God wants to take that and use that in His life, that's great. I told him out of love, but I also told him because God was developing me the king face, that I needed to be able to stand and I needed to be able to speak truth to some other man and part of that obedience step was I had to talk to Bill McMahon. And I still, when I'm back at my parents' house, back in Tennessee, I go over there, I run, I lift, and I look for Coach McMahon. And I still say hey to him, and we still talk, but there's a, there's a difference in our relationship now. If we lean too far to the left, we become an abdicator. And I don't have to tell you a whole lot about this. I, I, I get two words for you guys. Homer Simpson, who's in charge? It's like, man, he's abdicated everything. He is the easy boy chair. And there's Bart with his remote control. And, you know, it's, it's all over society. We see these faces. But, you know what? That's what pop culture tells us. That is not who I am. That's not who you are. That's not who we have to be. We don't have to be abdicators. The warrior face, if he goes too far, if he's left unchecked, he becomes the destroyer. Abusive harsh, do whatever I can to get what I want. And the other side of that is the wimp. I'm not going to do anything. I can't stand up for myself. I'm milk toast. There's no conquering energy in me. I've given up on life. And there are a lot of men in homes that they parent like that. They leave all the discipline to the wife. They just sit back. And I'm like, you know, it starts before you get married again. There's not a switch. And so for us in here, We've got to develop this idea of the balance, that the king is the nobility, and he controls the warrior and tells the warrior what battle do you fight and what battle don't you fight. On the side of the lover, too far to the right, you become the critical man. You tear people down. You have no kind words. You focus on the wrongs of others, and you focus on your own needs. And the other side of that is you become cold and you become detached. You close your heart off. I've been hurt before. I'm not going to love again. I'm not going to speak truth. The last time I spoke truth to a friend, I lost that friendship. And so we sort of, we live almost like an emotional teenager instead of being a man of God that's willing to actually have compassion and love and know that, man, that doesn't make you less of a man. If that makes you less of a man, then when Jesus sat down at His disciples' feet and washed their feet, then He was being a pansy. And the Jesus I serve isn't a pansy. The Jesus I serve is the greatest man I've ever seen or ever read about. Friends, too far to the right, you're a user. <clears throat> the book Future Shock was in 1970, and I read it when I was in college by Alvin Toffler, and, and he said that we would be in a hyperspeed, this information age, 
this mega industrialized society that everything's moving so fast that we, we don't have friendships anymore. We have a thing called Kleenex relationships. And we use them, we wad them up, and we throw them away until the next Kleenex relationship appears. And I, I'm telling you, we've got to guard ourselves against that. But equally, on the other side of that, is we don't want to go to the side of the loner. The disconnected guy. It's been called that the American male is the friendless male. And so, observations, and then we need to be in our tables in just a second here. Just fill in your blanks. Because of our morally compromised culture, many men today lack a king. Without a king, the warrior becomes unrestrained, hurting the lives, including his own. Another observation. We talked about this last week. Increasingly feminized culture has emasculated the warrior and it creates the soft male. This is the guy that loves pornography. I don't want to pursue the real woman. I'm going to take the easy thing because it's easier. I don't get rejected. It's, I'm going to be the passive male. It's for my pleasure. We're indecisive and weak. I'm telling you, there is a scene at a fight club and we'll show it in here one, one time, but... <clears throat> Ed Norton goes something like this, that, hey, he's 30, he says, I, I can't get married. I'm a 30-year-old boy. You know, we're a country of men that have been raised by women. And that's the reality. And we looked at the different forces that were in play. And so what the world desperately needs for us today is a four-face balance of real manhood. There's north, south, east and west. They're the four cardinal points on a compass. There's winter, spring, summer, fall. They're the four seasons that we have. There's earth, wind, fire, and water. And they're the four elements on the earth. And there is king, warrior, lover, and friend. And they're the four faces of manhood. And so the question for you guys today is when you wake up and you look in the mirror in the morning, is, is what, what man do you see? What face is looking back at you?